Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This week's episode will feature three stories to honor the memory of the dead. And of course, by that, I'm referring to summer 2020. Rest in peace, friend. The end of summer means the return of the school year for people across the world. This first story is a Nope Too Creepy original about a family off on their summer vacation, and everything is going great, until they stumble upon an ancient curse in the city that they're in. Don't you just hate when that happens? I present to you, El Beso de la Paloma. Would you look at this view? Isn't it something, Sammy? Sam peeked out of the window behind his mother, who stood, arms wide open, on the balcony of their hotel. He wasn't impressed. At the ripe age of 14, the last thing he wanted to do with his precious summer break was to spend it with his parents and little sister. Even if they were staying in one of the highest-rated hotels in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, They had been upgraded to a suite, which meant he and his sister would have their own room, separate from their parents. Yeah, it's nice, replied Sam half-heartedly, flipping to a new channel on the TV before adding, Can we just go to the pool already? We told you, Sam, we're not going to the pool today. We're heading into town, answered his mother coming inside and shutting the sliding glass door behind her. Sam groaned in protest, but he knew it was in vain. Their annual family vacation meant spending quality time together, which often meant a lot of boring activities picked out by his mother and his father. Shopping at the local markets had been something Sam was used to on these trips, but that didn't mean he hated them any less. But everyone else loved it. Mom got great deals on unique jewelry. Dad got to test out his haggling skills. And his little sister, Melissa, always came back with a few new toys or stuffed animals. She was only nine, so to her, the magic of these trips had not yet faded. He remembered when he loved to go too. But some things just change with age. Sam stared out of the window of the cab, taking in the scenes of the rustic roadside. The streets of Mexico were paved with poverty, and it seemed the only people he saw who were not struggling were fellow tourists. It was not long until the cab passed beneath the giant handwritten sign. The letter stood in all caps, big and bold against the weathered wood grain, and read, Busarias. Hours passed, and the four travelers were beginning to wrap up their final purchases. The Busarias area was a sight to see. To Sam's surprise, the people all seemed genuinely happy. The men sat and sipped on their cheap beer, while the women played with their babies. Children laughed and chased each other all over the cobblestone roads. The elderly, still dressed in their Sunday best, rocked in their old, hand-built chairs, running their shops. Because it was Sunday, the shops were closing earlier than normal. Sam and his family were crossing through a brightly colored alleyway on their way back to the main road, when his mother suddenly stopped. One last jewelry store had remained open, and there was a vibrant, beautiful necklace that caught her eye. She had to have it, and told Sam and Melissa to wait for her outside. Sam let out yet another groan to express his disapproval. He had been there long enough, and his patience had finally worn thin. Give your teenage angst a rest, Sam. It will only take a minute. Here's some money. 
Go buy some candy or something for you and your sister, said Sam's mother as she shoved a handful of pesos in his palm. Sam was pissed, but the thought of satisfying his sweet tooth calmed him down a bit. He took Melissa by the hand and headed down the alley to the only other shop that was still open. As they walked, they noticed the alley had been painted with a series of murals. Images of animals, landscapes, and passionate lovers adorned the aged walls. Among these illustrations was the image of a small girl, with the words written above her in black that read, Al beso de la paloma. The eyes of the girl gazed into Sam's. He stood in front of it, eyes scanning every inch. The girl was in a formal white dress, with her hair pulled and tied back in a bun. In her hands, she held a book and a candle. Her head had a warm aura around it, as if it were illuminated or glowing. Lastly, a single dove can be seen. With its wings spread wide open, the dove seemed to be diving into the girl as she simply stood there, emotionless. At the foot of the painting was a collection of trinkets, food, and clothing. I wonder what it means, pondered Melissa as she also gazed at the cryptic mural. Her words awoke Sam from his trance, and he shook it off, continuing towards the shop. Using the money he was given, he bought two big chocolate bars for him and his sister. The owner of the shop was an elderly lady who smiled pleasantly at the sight of the two young travelers. The woman handed Sam the candy before asking, Esto es para la chica? Sam stared at the woman, puzzled. I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't understand, Sam replied as he handed one of the candy bars to Melissa. The woman adjusted herself in her chair. The candy. Are you going to offer it to the girl? Who? My sister? She's already got hers. This one's mine answered Sam with an obvious tone of confusion. No, chico, laughed the woman. Not your sister. Her. She tossed up her wrinkly hand and pointed toward the mural of the girl they had passed. It is Sunday. You must leave an offering. Sam stared at the woman. He immediately assumed that she was old and crazy and was about to turn around to leave. Before he could, Melissa chimed in. With her little voice, she asked the woman, Why? What happens on Sunday? The woman laughed and wagged her finger at the two siblings. First time in La Pusarias? Sam and Melissa slightly nodded their heads, not sure if they should leave. Before they could, the woman rose from her chair and walked towards them. That is El Beso de la Paloma, Kiss of the Dove. The girl you see was an orphan. She lived in a church that used to be here in La Busarias. What happened to her? Melissa asked filled with curiosity. She lived in the church for years, and while they gave her food and a warm bed, she never once received any gifts. The church did not have enough money. But for her tenth birthday, the father decided he would surprise her with some small toys and candy. The woman stopped and changed her focus from the mural to Sam and Melissa before continuing. The night of her birthday, the town was attacked by a group of banditos. They trapped the father and his orphans in the church 
before throwing in their torch. Everyone inside died in the fire. Sam began to roll his eyes. Bandits, huh? The woman shot a look of frustration to Sam and answered, Si, niño. Bandits. By now, Melissa was giving the shopkeeper her full attention, listening intently, and asked, Did they ever catch the bandits? The woman's tone lightened up in response to the sweet little girl. Even better, chica. A few days later, the bandits were all found dead. Their skin was black and burned. The men who found their bodies say the trees were filled with doves. The doves flew away when the men came. The people of the town believed it was the spirit of the girl who found and killed the men. The mural was painted for her memory. And every Sunday, those who visit La Buceria's must leave her a gift. By this point, Sam had heard enough. Oh, yeah? And what happens if we don't? Does her spirit come get us too? He mocked as he waved his hand sarcastically. He grabbed Melissa's hand and began to pull her back towards their parents, who were wrapping up their negotiations. The woman simply smiled and watched Sam as he walked away. Before they were out of sight, she yelled, Careful, Nino. She's seen you, and she won't forget you. After struggling to break free, Melissa managed to slip from her brother's forceful grip. Let go, she shouted as she yanked her wrist away. I'm going to leave her my candy. Don't be stupid, Melissa. It's not real, barked Sam as he tried to pull her back again. Melissa screamed at the top of her lungs, causing everyone to stop and stare in their direction. Fine, do whatever the hell you want, idiot. Melissa walked over to the mural and placed her candy beside the other collection of items. She gave one last look to the mural before smiling and running past Sam to her mother. Sam was heated. He couldn't understand how anyone could believe such a ridiculous urban legend. He walked back to the mural and gave it one last scan. Did the little girl get burned up? Not exactly the birthday party you had in mind, huh? Sam laughed. Hey, I have an idea. Maybe this will put out the fire. Sam breathed in deep before hawking a large wad of spit onto the mural. He looked down at the collection of offerings that were at his feet. Well, if she's not going to eat it, I definitely will. He crouched down and picked up the candy bar Melissa had left. After pocketing the treat, he ran back to his family, and the four began to head back to the hotel. The ride back seemed to take even longer. Dusk had set in, and the dull streetlights radiated among the broken roads. Sam was sitting in the back seat, beside his now sleeping sister and mother, while his father sat in front, practicing his broken Spanish with the cab driver. He rested his head against the window and continued to gaze around. There was a lot of wildlife that inhabited the streets. Dogs, cats, rodents, and birds dwelling among the people seemed to be a normal thing. The birds, there sure were a lot of them. Sam began to count them as they moved along. So many white birds many more than he'd seen earlier that day. What were they? Seagulls? Pigeons? No. Doves! Sam jumped in surprise. His dad was leaning over, speaking with the cab driver. How you say many doves? 
he asked, pointing to the creatures that seemed to be surrounding the vehicle. The driver was even looking at them. This clearly was not normal. It was like that all the way back to the hotel. The birds kept their distance, but slowly closed the gap between them and Sam as he walked with his family back to their hotel. He had never been so happy to arrive back to the room. He immediately burst into his room, ready to shower and end the day, when he noticed his mother had left the curtains open on their patio window. Sam's eyes widened in disbelief and fear when he looked out of it. Perched up along the walls of the patio were several large white doves. They simply stood there, not moving a muscle, gazing at him. Sam's fear was quickly replaced with anger as he threw open the patio door and leapt outside, waving his arms frantically to drive away his winged tormentors. Sam watched them fly away into the night. He walked back inside and shut the patio door, locking it and drawing the curtains closed. Satisfied with his work, he decided it was time to call it a night. As Sam slept, he was plagued with nightmares. Visions of small children dying violently in large flames, begging for his help as he stood idly and watched them wither away. No matter how hard he tried to move his body, he can only stand there, eyes glued to the horrific scene. The whole time he watched, doves gathered around him. They stared. They judged. They condemned. A loud noise woke Sam from his nightmare. Unaware of the sound, Sam began to breathe, letting his senses return to him. He looked around the room, never feeling so much relief. He looked to his sister who slept soundly. With one last sigh, Sam laid his head back on his pillow and shut his eyes. He was just about to drift back into unconsciousness when he heard another loud tap. Sam shot back up and looked towards the direction of the sound. It had come from the patio window. Eyes wide and body frozen still, Sam continued to watch the window. Another loud tap blasted from the window, but this time, Sam also heard the rustling of feathers. He sighed in both relief and frustration. I am going to kill these damn birds, mumbled Sam as he dragged himself out of bed. He approached the window, but stopped when he noticed something. Coming from behind the curtain, he noticed a subtle light being radiated. It was too dim and hovering too low to be the patio light. Sam stood there for a minute, not sure what to do. Another loud tap, more forceful than the others, shook him from his paralysis. The tapping turned into knocking and the knocking into banging, until it sounded like there was a group of intruders attempting to shatter the glass from the outside. Sam was frozen solid in fear. The banging was so loud. He was sure his parents would barge in any second to investigate. But no matter how long he waited, they did not come. In his confusion, he failed to notice Melissa crawl out of her bed until she walked right past him, heading towards the window. Melissa, what the hell are you doing? Get away from there! Demanded Sam, whispering as loud as he can. She did not even acknowledge his words. Her eyes were fixed upon the window and she continued to take small steps toward the patio door. When she finally got to it, Melissa reached up 
and grabbed one end of the curtains. As soon as she did, the tapping immediately ceased. Sam watched from a distance, not sure what to do. Then, Melissa did it. She threw open the curtains, exposing the patio. Sam's eyes shot wide open, and his body tensed up with so much fear, he thought he would vomit. Standing there, surrounded by doves, was the girl from the painting. She hovered slightly above the ground, carrying the same candle from the mural. Though her eyes were pure black, Sam knew she was staring directly at him through the glass. Melissa, get away from the window. Sam begged as he gestured for his sister to come to him. Melissa was still in her hypnotic state. She released her grip from the curtains and turned her direction towards the handle of the sliding door, grabbing it and unlocking it. Melissa, what the hell are you doing? Stop! whimpered Sam, backing away from the phantom girl. It was no use. With a single motion, Melissa opened the patio door. Immediately, the flock of doves flew into the room and began attacking Sam. They pecked him from every direction, all over his face and body. Sam ran to the bedroom door and pulled at the handle. It wouldn't budge. He banged on the door as hard as he can, screaming for his parents to come save him. But no help came. Bloodied and sore from the ferocious pecking, Sam desperately ran to his bed and dove under his covers, wrapping himself in the thick comforter. He felt the birds trying to attack him through the cloth, but he was relieved when he realized they couldn't actually hurt him. One by one, the doves gave up, and he heard as they flew out of the still-open patio door. Sam continued to lie there in his protective cocoon. When he no longer felt or heard a dove for several minutes, he slowly peeked towards the window from under the blanket. The doves were gone, and more importantly, she was gone. The ghost girl had disappeared. Melissa had gone out to the patio and was staring over the edge, apparently still under a spell. She is not in danger. A chilling voice spoke to Sam from the other side of his bed. His stomach dropped in terror. He whipped around only to be face to face with her, the girl from the painting. She stood there, only feet away, staring past his eyes into his soul. But you, you will be punished. You will feel the pain I felt. The pain we all felt. Just then, Sam felt a finger run along his back. One finger turned into several, until he was being pinned down by a group of small hands. He looked at what was holding him and could not believe his eyes. Beside his bed stood a group of small children all with horrible burns across their bodies. Many were missing hair. Another had his teeth completely exposed. Another his organs. They all held Sam down, ensuring his struggles to break free would be futile. Screams filled the room. Screams of children in agony. The same screams from his nightmare. Sam felt the bed move, and he turned towards the girl. She began crawling into bed with him. The closer she got, 
the more her body began to transform. She eased towards Sam's vulnerable body, slowly becoming more like her friends, her skin beginning to char and flake away while her hair disappeared in smoke. By the time she was close enough to lay a hand on her target, her body was desecrated. She wrapped her scorched limbs around the boy before giving him a single kiss on the cheek. Sam felt an excruciating pain at the touch of her skin, like being seared over a blazing grill. Before he can scream, one of the children held his mouth shut. She held him tight as he struggled, with his skin being broiled in her scalding embrace, Sam eventually blacked out. The next morning, Sam's mother and father found their son lying in his bed. His skin was incinerated with third-degree burns that covered him from head to toe. All the hair was burnt off his feeble body. They found Melissa in a ball on the patio, crying her eyes out and inconsolable. When the paramedics came, Sam still had his eyes wide open, continuing to mumble a single phrase. La Paloma! La Paloma! Why does he keep saying that? His mother wept as she desperately searched for answers. What the hell does that even mean? The paramedics looked at each other with a look of unease. Senora, you guys didn't happen to visit La Busarias yesterday, did you? Our next story takes us back into the classroom, a fate that sends chills down many of our spines. I can almost guarantee you'll have it better than this teacher, though. Enjoy, Katie Lee is a student who liked drawing creepy things. Her name was Katie Lee. She was definitely one of the smartest little girls I have ever had the privilege to teach, but to be honest, I hardly paid attention to her until five days ago. Though she excelled in every test I gave the class, Katie was excellent at making herself invisible. Before I continue, let me give you some background. I am currently living in Daejeon, South Korea, where I work as an English teacher. I love it. It's a lot better than barely scraping by in Nashville, Tennessee, working as a salesman in a dying retail store. For the past three years, I've taught English to elementary school students. Just like every other school, there are good kids, there are bad kids, there are weird kids that eat flowers dipped in glue, and there are students like Kathy Lee. She's the type of student that comes to school to learn, to better themselves, and to escape the demons that haunt every inch of her house. Like I said, I never really took the time to learn much about her. The only time I really talked to her was on the first day of class. During attendance, I called her by her first name, but she held up her hand and asked me to call her Katie. I didn't ask why. A lot of Korean kids like making up English names for themselves. After that, she sat at the back of the class and never said a word. I know I should have made some sort of effort to speak to her, but honestly, at that time, there wasn't really a need. That quickly changed when she started staying after class for the past five days. It was the last class of the day, 
so I had to stay with her until she decided to leave. During the time she was alone with me in the classroom, she sat at her desk and drew on a sheet of paper. Every day the drawings were different, but they all revolved around one theme. People dying. Before she left, she would hand me the drawing and tell me what the general theme was. I thought it would be easiest to read about the drawings if I wrote it out day by day. Day 1 It was a crudely drawn helicopter. On first glance, it looks like two guys are hanging onto the ropes tied to the bottom of part of the helicopter. Looking a bit closer, I noticed that the ropes were around their heads. She put little X's where the eyes were supposed to be on the people. I asked her what it was. She gave me a half smile and said, Helicopter, before rushing out of the door. Day 2 it was a blue elephant. There was a person riding on top of it, but underneath each of the elephant's feet, it looked like red puddles. A bunch of stick figure people surrounded the elephant, some of the people lying on the ground with red dots surrounding their bodies. Before I can even ask her, she pointed at the drawing and said, elephant, before rushing out of the door again. Day 3 I talked to the principal about the drawings in the morning. She laughed and said that kids were getting more and more violent. I asked her if we should call the parents, but she just put up her hand and said, it's okay, as long as she's getting good grades, she's fine. That day, she drew a person climbing up a ladder. He was around halfway up, but on the bottom of the ladder was another person beginning to climb up. That person had a knife in its hand. Before she can rush out again, I got up from my chair and stood between her and the door. I asked her what it was. Without even looking surprised, she mumbled, ladder. I asked her why she drew a knife in the other person's hand. After a couple of seconds, Katie hung her head down and began to cry. I knelt down beside her and asked if she was okay. She just whispered, ladder, again, before pushing me down and running out of the door. Day 4 I talked to the principal again. I told her about Katie pushing me down. She told me she would call the parents for me. Feeling slightly relieved, I proceeded with the day. Katie left with the class today, but before she left, she left a folded up piece of paper on my desk. It took me a while to convince myself to look at it. It was a dog with fluffy hair in certain parts. The mouth of the dog was red and there was a stick figure person lying beside it. There was a small pool of blood around the person. On the bottom of the drawing was a single word, Poodle. Day 5 this morning, I thought about calling off of work, but decided against it last minute. Once I walked into the building, the principal ran up to me and asked me to follow her. She led me into her office, where I saw a police officer with a grim look on his face. Before I can even greet him, in the best English he can muster up, he asked, Give me the drawings, please. You tell her she gave you drawing. Give me those. I told him they were in my classroom, 
He followed closely behind me to the class and waited beside me while I took the drawings out from under my desk. He took a couple of seconds to look over each of the drawings and without another word, he left. I tried asking the other teachers what happened to Katie, but nobody knew. At the end of the day, I found the principal and tried asking her, but she just shook her head and walked past me. I got home around 4 in the afternoon, ate dinner at 7, and at 9, the principal called to tell me what happened. Apparently, Katie's neighbor called the police after they heard shouting coming from Katie's apartment. When the police arrived, they saw that the door of the apartment was halfway open. Immediately, they saw Katie's corpse sitting on the lap of her beheaded father. His severed head was on Katie's lap. They tried to find a cause of death for Katie, but she didn't have a single cut or bruise on her. On the floor next to their bodies was a single piece of paper. After a couple of seconds, the principal let out a sigh and said she'll send me a picture of the drawing that the officers found. About 10 minutes after she hung up the phone, I received a picture from her. It was a drawing of what seemed to be Katie's family. Katie and her father were standing outside of their building with a smile on their face. Her mother, who passed away two years ago, had a frantic look while she pointed at one of the windows in the apartment. In that window stood a girl who looked exactly like the Katie that stood beside the father. Her hands were on the window, and in the right hand was a knife. On the bottom of the drawings were three words. Nobody helped me. At around 10 p.m., I was sitting on my bed, and I began to hear Katie's voice coming from somewhere in my apartment. It kept chanting the same thing over and over again. It took me a couple of minutes to understand what it was saying. You didn't help me. Now you belong to me. Every time it said it, the voice would slowly change. It started as Katie's voice and slowly would become closer to mine. It's almost 11 now. The voice is gone, but I can see a pair of eyes staring at me. They look like my eyes, but they're unnaturally bright. I swear, every couple of seconds, I can see a little more of my face appear around the eyes. I try to get out of my bed and run out of my apartment, but I can't. I managed to grab my phone. I decided to write this out to distract myself from my current situation and also to send out a warning. If any children display any sort of weird behavior, don't listen to your superiors. Act on it. Alert the police. Ask them if there's anything you can do for them. Make them trust you. You might be the only one who can actually help. It's midnight now. Wherever it is, it has completely mocked my appearance. I thought it would kill me, but it just walked up to me and said, Hello, teacher. You didn't help. Five days left. Find the person that killed me. Kill them. It walked away, and I finally managed to get out of my bed. Looks like I'm screwed.
many young adults across the world will be starting their college careers around this time, going to various universities to pursue further education. If you happen to fall into that category, just remember that dorm life may come with certain changes and certain new rules. Sit back and enjoy the final story of the night, titled, My Dorm Has Some Weird Rules. The following paper was tucked inside my student handbook when I moved into my new dormitory. For obvious reasons, I will be editing any details that could lead to the overly skeptical or the overly curious poking around my college campus. After reading the instructions replicated below, I don't think that would end very well. Hello, and welcome to Paul. If at any point you have any questions or concerns about any of the instructions you are about to receive, please do not hesitate to ask your resident assistant or residence director for clarification. The rules listed below are deadly serious and are not a prank of any sort. With that being said, if these instructions are released to the general public or brought to the attention of the university campus, the Hall residence life staff will disavow any knowledge of them. There are those in the administration who believe that the following rules are based on superstitious nonsense. And there are those who would rather not warn you about the dangers due to liability reasons. We believe otherwise. Please, do not make our jobs more difficult than they already are. Number 1. Please do not answer the door if there is a knock between the hours of 3 and 4 in the morning. Please follow this rule even if you hear the voice of your roommate and he claims to have lost his key. RAs will not be doing room checks during this window of time. Drills will be done by the RAs at various times during the semester to ensure compliance. Do not assume that the knock is a drill even if you hear the voice of an RA. Number 2. On a related note, if you awaken in the middle of the night and cannot check the time for whatever reason, such as your cell phone running out of battery, please do not try and guess the time without any other form of verification. Taking 5 minutes to charge up your phone or power up your computer is far better than the alternative. Number 3. Ignore the cute girl in the lobby who says her name is Lilith. By no means should you invite her back to your room if you make the mistake of interacting with her. Please inform your RA if she is seen. Number 4. There is no fraternity named Ad Major Malum Glorium on our university campus. Anyone claiming to be a member of this fraternity should be reported to your RA. For God's sakes, learn some basic Latin, people. Number 5. Room 66 and 13 are unoccupied and are to be kept locked at all times. If you stumble across anything that suggests that this is not the case, please inform your RA at once. Number 6. If you are locked out of the dorm, please do not try to enter through any unlocked windows unless you can tell that the room is currently occupied by someone you know. Yes, this includes windows that you can swear are on the other side of the building or on a different floor than rooms 66 and 13. We have reason to believe students have been tricked into entering the rooms in this way in the past. Number 7. If someone is waiting outside the dormitory for someone to open the door and be let in, you may open the door at your discretion, but do not give them verbal permission to enter the building. If you are holding the door open, but they refuse to enter, or they try to prompt an invitation, they can be crafty about this. Close the door immediately and inform your RA. 
number eight. You may return from classes to find that small objects in your room have been moved around. This is perfectly normal and is usually relatively harmless and not worth troubling your RA about. Number nine. The occasional soft scream or distant roar in the middle of the night is not uncommon. Once again, this is usually harmless, assuming you've followed the other rules. Number 10. Do not perform any seances or play with Ouija boards while staying at Hall. We are still finding the pieces of the last person that tried to do this. Number 11. Drugs and alcohol are strictly prohibited. Not only are they illegal, this is a freshman dorm after all, they can blur your sense of what is real and what is not, thereby making it easier for you to make a mistake and break one of the other rules. There are beings out there that are aware of this and will take advantage. Number 12. Wolves are not native to the area, nor do they grow to the sizes that you may swear that you saw or walk on their hind legs. It's about a 50-50 chance as to whether animal control or the police will take you seriously or laugh in your face if you were to inform them of any sightings. We suggest that you inform any sightings to your RA and they will help you make sure the information gets to the right people. Number 13. If you are invited to a party and find yourself the only man in a room full of women, this is usually a sign of a very bad night as opposed to a very good one. We recommend that you leave as quickly and discreetly as possible. This is especially true if any of the women claim to be members of a feminist society known as the Bakai. No such organization is officially recognized by campus administration. Number 14. If you notice any shadow person in your vicinity, it is advised that you try to ignore them, or at least pretend to. From what we can tell, they cannot directly harm you unless you pay them a great deal of attention for an extended period of time. They will not make this easy. Number 15. There is no sub-basement in Hall. If the elevator should take you to one, do not leave the elevator or permit anyone or anything from the sub-basement to enter the elevator. They will usually require an invitation to do so. Number 16. If you do not see your roommate for more than 24 hours, Please inform your RA, even if he has left you a note claiming to have gone home for the weekend. We have ways of verifying these things. Number 17. It is not advisable to watch horror movies in the basement lounge after dark. We find that this provides certain beings with inspiration. Number 18. Any examples of deja vu or doppelgangers should be reported to your RA immediately. Number 19. Any men in robes carrying torches or bloody daggers around in the middle of the night who claim to be members of Alpha Mai Mai Gamma doing initiation ceremonies should be avoided. Please refer to rule number 4 and your Greek alphabet. And number 20. The campus security officer's first priority is the good of university and not your safety. This means that at times they may minimize your concerns or try to cover up things that happen on campus that would make the university look bad. With this in mind, you should first try to talk to a member of the resident's life staff at Hall if you have any questions or concerns about your safety. We will protect you as best as we can. 
This list of rules is subject to update as needed. I only moved into this dorm this semester because a spot unexpectedly opened up and I was determined to get away from my obnoxious roommate. I can't help but wonder which of the rules the kid who used to sleep in my bed had broken. Nothing out of the ordinary happened for the first week I lived in the dorm. I started to wonder if it was just a weird prank. I asked my roommate about the paper, and he just shrugged his shoulders. Yesterday my phone disappeared for about two hours. I tore my room apart looking for it. It suddenly turned up on my pillow in plain sight. That was weird, but nothing concrete. Of more certain is the fact that I have not seen my roommate all day. I suspect he had been drinking, but I can't prove it. I should clarify. I have not seen my roommate all day, but I think I may have heard him. Late last night, there was a soft knock at the door, and I heard my roommate asking to be let in. I checked my watch, and it said 2.57 a.m. I was reaching for the door when I remembered that my watch was five minutes slow. Maybe the rules are real. Maybe they are a joke. I don't plan on risking it. But my roommate's screams are making that difficult. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the authors of these stories, please check the show notes for all their information. If you enjoyed yourself, please be sure to give us a follow and possibly even a rating, which will help the podcast reach new listeners. To anyone who's going back to school, good luck and be sure to make the most of it. Until next time. This is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode.